talking to talking to student loan uh, people, vendors. What are they, vendors? You get it. Rep- representatives. Oh, you, get, you guys are uh, getting your finances in order? Yeah, more or less. I mean, uh, I don't know how much you know about current student loans, but uh, uh, they are uh, a giant scam that's been perpetrated on the entirety of America. Oh, I know it. I used to work at a community college, and they part of their, their big uh, money scam was to get students to take out loans so that, um, you know, then the loans pay the school and then the students drop out and still owe a bunch of money, but then the school makes money, so the turnover doesn't matter, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, so. too, is that they – I see people online who say things to the effect of, well, you know, you shouldn't have made that decision. And it's like, well, these are – like I was 18 when I made most of my really bad financial decisions, and I'm 31 now, and most of that has followed me through my entire life. You know, and it's like, yeah, plus I don't know shit about money, dude. Yeah, I think that the any of those interests you developed, even when you wasted all that money, are kind of crucial. Like you, you might not have uh, be the person you are if you wouldn't have squandered all that money. Sure, (laughs) because you know you you were reading and you were around people that were interested in reading stuff, and you know we'd still be listening to Limp Biscuit. Which well, we are anyway. I am still doing that too. Yeah, but I love bringing that up online. There was a dude on Facebook. I posted that Limp Biscuit stuff, and this guy replies like, "Oh, Fred Durst is a little pussy ass bitch." And I was like, "Dude, what did what did Fred Durst ever do to you, man? Like, why are you so upset with Fred Durst?" Yeah, he's he's no worse than all of them, really. No. I mean, the, with the beloved Donald Glover, you know, your mm-hmm. your Atlanta guy, mm-hmm. the uh, Childish Gambino. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a review of one of his old albums, and it's full of misogyny, and it's got all this uh, the same kind of trappings as an old Limp Biscuit. You know, they're all like, if you want a a musician who's a good person, you're just barking up the wrong tree. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, so we're here today to talk about thoroughbreds yeah yeah did you so you got a chance to watch it i did yes i did did you um do you have uh do you have hbo or you have um netflix what do you what are you working with over there i just have netflix but i'm able to rent movies on google play oh okay so you're not doing the itunes no i do you know i did itunes for atlanta but this one, normally, whenever I Google it, it's the first thing that pops up on the right-hand side, the sidebar. So I just, okay. go, I just go straight to Google Play. And normally their prices are pretty good, too. I think this one costs like 4 bucks or something. Okay. Yeah, iTunes, I've been doing iTunes a lot lately, and it's kind of fucking me up. Like, they'll, you'll, you'll watch a movie, and there'll be like a half hour on the little bar. Mm-hmm. So you, you know how you kind of prepare yourself for when a movie's going to end? Mm-hmm. And but that that little half hour is actually the extra content you get, mm-hmm. you know. So if you if you buy a movie on iTunes, it might come with deleted scenes and documentaries, and that's tagged on to the end. So it's kind of like when you on a Kindle when you think the book has pages left, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's a, there's actually a preview chapter of another book. So you're not prepared for the ending, and you kind of um, 
I don't know. It kind of messes up your ending. No, I did that with this book, Sinister Forces, which was uh, this crazy conspiracy book that I really, really enjoyed. I got 88% through with it. And like you said, like the last bit of it is a chapter two, part two, which I had already bought because I liked part one so much and like a glossary. But it feels it right. feels so incomplete to just be at 88%. So I just <laughs> manually skipped to the end of the book until it hit 100. And I was like, whew, all right, good. I'm good now. Yeah, yeah. And did you feel like when it wrapped up with 88% to go, you were, you were, weren't prepared for that, so you didn't maybe enjoy the ending as much? Well, yeah, because I turned the page thinking that there would be – like I didn't get that the climax of the book was the climax of the book. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But now that I think about it, that's kind of – that's kind of a movie experience. Maybe it's actually, in its weird way, making it more like when you're in a theater, you don't know when it's going to end either. True. But you don't. But in the movie, you don't think, wait, we got 15 minutes to go. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. So with this with this movie in particular, dude, I feel like this fits very firmly within the almost good camp. It, yeah. It actually really did kind of take me back to – those movies, those crime movies of the '90s, man. The where yeah, ev- everybody everybody has a monologue for everything. The dialogue is very TV and snappy. It's kind of like Joss Whedon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer dialogue, until you need to get to a monologue, which is where like the kind of Tarantinian uh, light influences come out. I can, yeah, I can see that. You know, I was told. Um... I was told recently by friends and family that they're really enjoying our podcast, but they want us to sum up the movies. Oh, okay. And I think it might have come from our Dipshit Heat episode where we barely mentioned what we were talking about. Like (laughs) it it was a total context free. uh, (laughs) We were were just, dude, we were just so excited to tear that thing apart. Like we didn't, we just barreled right into it. We were like, let's fucking rip this one a new one. But okay, fair enough. Do you want me to sum it up? We'll, maybe we'll alternate. We'll um, like to, to sum up the movie a little bit and yeah, then to know exactly what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah, you go. Okay. Uh, so we have – it's Thoroughbreds. It's a new um, – it, it's unusually hot, right? It's uh, it's kind of everywhere right now. Hmm. I see stacks of them on the shelf at Target and um, – that's weird. Like they're getting rid of media in those stores. So something – this has hit a nerve. Like young people mm-hmm. are enjoying thoroughbreds. Mm-hmm. But it's a story of uh, two college students. Um, and, and jump in if I – because I'm going to just go by memory of seeing it like three days ago. They're high school kids. So, oh, they're high school – yeah, that's right. They're preparing for college. They're on like a, a play date to study for the SATs, right? Yeah. And it's two young women and they grow more and more interested in each other. They seem to be like filling a hole in each other's lives. One of them needs friends and she's um, she seems to have some sort of uh, lack of empathy or some sort of psychological condition. And the other one has uh, some dad issues. Her dad has recently died. She has a bad stepfather. And um, one of them is very I think the word I used when Amy and I were watching it was coquettish. She's very put together and presents herself in a very upper class way where the other girl is described as like actually smelling funny. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I don't bathe too much. And the, but as it goes on, we realize that the perfect one, the one who's like this little show pony, she is, um, she's actually the bad one. She's, uh, she plagiarized. So she's actually doesn't have the internship. She claims 
She's uh, she's the one who um, got kicked out of school and needs the help that way. Let me stop, so let's stop cut- right here real fast. Ahead, I just want to interject that I love that the movie's psychopathic murderer is also a plagiarist because that fits right into the Dave <laughs> Keaton worldview oh, of, oh, of the, the levels of scum. <laughs> Basically, she committed the worst crime ever. And, and also murder. <laughs> you should you should tell the listeners that uh, that I uh, I teach college and uh, Osborne here on the other end of the of the table uh, may or may not help college students plagiarize for money so we are we should beat each other's throats right mm-hmm. yeah it's true <laughs> hey it's tough times man that's the message of this film you know times are tough you got to do what you got to do bro yeah but so anyway to sum it up um you have two creepy young women and they sort of flip personalities and may or may not um uh, the one you thought was the evil one is actually the one who, in spite of her lack of emotions, has the the morality core. Is that safe to say? Yeah. That that the one who has emotions and who cries a lot, she's actually the evil one. That's the big. That's the twist, sort of. Right. So basically, this uh, the the sociopath, the person who she at times says that she just doesn't feel anything. There's a. I think a great line in the movie where she's like, I don't know, I get hungry and I get tired, but everything else is kind of missing. And you have these scenes of her just playing online poker all night. And uh, at, a, at a certain point, she was uh, she would do show pony stuff. Is that the word for it? Where you like ride horses for like over gates and shit? What do you call that? Equestrianism? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, there's a lot of um, – I've seen this described as uh, – the, the one that they're going with on the box and, and online is uh, it's Heather's meets American Psycho. It's not at all. It's no. I, it might be a little Heather's meets Equus, mm. which is you remember the play X, Equus? Where is the, that the one where he fucks a horse? Well, he symbolically fucks the horse. He, okay. he, he stabs a bunch of horses in the eye. He blinds a bunch of them. But he does it because he's having parental issues and a, and a meltdown. I mean, I don't know. He does it cause he loves them too much. So yeah, he, yeah, he okay. blinds them because they saw him impotent. I, it's a crazy, it's that play where actors, when they want to shed their teen image, they go so they can wag their dicks around on stage. It's a notorious oh. nude play. Cool. Like the hair, the Harry Potter dude. If you Google the Harry Potter dude's name in Equus, you will see his penis if you really want to see his penis. Wow, I did not know that was an option outside of photoshopped images on the internet, but I'm now <laughs> it's real. really not excited to see that, but I know I'm going to do it, so whatever. Well, let me ask you about the poker thing. So the girl without any emotions is really good at online poker. What am I to, to make of that? She is well, good. At, if, she reads people well. Is that what it's saying? Well, no, no, no. There's no reading involved, I think. I think what that scene was showing because basically if you look at the table that she was playing at she had about 1500 bucks in her pot and everybody else was playing with like five dollars and so what it showed was her just continuously going all in and everybody folding because so it was i think it was kind of showing her just like she doesn't care about what's fair she cares about winning and like getting a job done maybe yeah or um or don't bluff her like she doesn't know how to bluff. Right. That might 
because that would play into the ending where um, the other girl's like, you're really going to drink what I roofied you? You're going to chug that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's like, sure, let's see what happens. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically as as the plot goes on and these two become kind of reluctant friends, um, the I, w- I really wish I knew the characters' names. In fact, you know what? Uh, it's a, I got them right here. Amanda is the uh, sociopath and Lily is the um the rich girl. Is the rich girl yeah okay so basically the rich girl decides at a certain point that she wants to kill her stepdad uh and the stepdad is portrayed as this really rich he's got kind of frosted tips in his hair and he's always wearing like a tight bicycle outfit or you know he's like he's got this rowing machine that's a great motif throughout the film that he he'll row at all hours of the night and it makes this kind of great industrial sound that Lily can't yeah, stand. Yeah, and we, we never see it, which I was disappointed at. I wanted <laughs> to see that. But I yeah. guess that's the point. Right, right, right. And it's uh, – so basically she she ends up wanting to kill this guy because he's going to send her off to a boarding school that she doesn't want to go to. And I'm going to try to stick to the plot without – because I have so many – comments especially about the second half of the movie and how it kind of it's a very it's one of the it's this new breed of uh millennial thrillers i think like this is this is a new thing that i'm not used to seeing but i thought it was cool also there's the what about that red herring plot of um uh that yelchin yelchin anton yell right they bring in r.i.p my boy anton yeah, they bring in this guy as a, a seedy kid, I guess, who seems like he's about 45 years old. Yeah. Uh, but he's like uh, the wrong side of the tracks, but he still hangs around the rich kids. And they bring him in to blackmail him into being the, the trigger man, basically. Mm-hmm. But then the movie kind of dis- dismisses him. And mm-hmm. I don't know if is that a result of him dying because they dedicate the movie to him. So maybe they, um, maybe his part was intended to be bigger, but they, the movie sure forgets about him pretty quick. No, I feel like they made a really, really smart decision with his character. And in my script doctoring segment that we'll do later, I'm, re- I'm really excited because I have a feeling that because of the way his character is treated. So basically, like you said, Anton Yeltsin's uh, character is this guy who's introduced literally at a high school party, and he's like selling coke and weed to high school kids. And then, like the high school kids, end up kicking his ass and kicking him out because he <laughs> he got he's basically a pedophile, right? Like he got charged with you know sleeping with a fifteen year old girl or whatever. So this really right. grimy like kind of gross dude his hair is always fucked up like it's thinning i think you had mentioned to me via text you're like that guy would have grown up to be a really weird looking in demand character actor definitely and, and definitely. you can you can totally see it here he's like he's kind of handsome but it, but he's gross at the same time you know right like like late careered um jude law yeah if it was if it was an 80s movie robert downey jr would have played that part he would have been the less than zero seedy guy among the rich kids but then you know downey grew up to be fucking superheroes so who knows what they would have done with old anton if he would have lived yeah it's a really freaky way that he died too you you familiar with this like apparently he parked his his jeep or something on a on a decline and got out to open the gate to his neighborhood or something and the emergency brake just like snapped and the car rolled and squished him on the gate 
That's fucked up. That is a fucked up way to go, dude. But anyway, so this character is eventually hired and, and then blackmailed by these two girls to kill the stepdad. And uh, since are we just go, we're just going full spoiler, so I mean, yeah, I feel yeah. like that's the only way this podcast works, right? We ha- we have to go full spoiler. So basically, he um, a- another scene that I thought was really great was the scene where you think he's going to uh, murder the stepdad, whose name is Mark. You think that he's going to kill Mark, and there's this, but he but he basically just runs away and disappears. Yeah, I thought that that was both disappointing and great because it was very realistic. If you hired somebody to do that, um, basically from the from the point of view of of the house, somebody would you know accidentally trigger the motion detector, mm-hmm. and that would be the end of the evening because right, that person because right. he just he just said fuck this and yeah. he left. Yeah. So he, it, that was the that was the end of that particular thread of the movie. It just ended it. Yeah. He just didn't do it. Right. And I think um so basic to kind of back up a little bit because this will this will move into my my major criticism which I just I really feel like uh the ending here was it was a huge missed opportunity. Well, um, let me ask can I ask you about the the stepdad? Did yeah. you get a did you get a molestation vibe at the beginning and then discover well, he doesn't really – he's bad, but I mean why did she want to kill him just because that's, she's ter- she's terrible, right? Exactly, that's- exactly. That's the way it flips it and that's what I thought was awesome because they do show the stepdad at first in this like skin-tight bicycle outfit. And I think movies and also just the fact that men are uh, terrifying predators <laughs> has like conditioned <laughs> us to be like, oh god, here we go. He's a creepy molester dude. But there's, right. a, there's a great scene where um, Lily is smoking a cigarette in his kitchen, and he walks in, and he gives her this sort of epic monologue, and he kind of nails her down, you know? he's He kind of like, he's like, you're spoiled. You think that everybody in your life is just like offshoots of your consciousness? You You can't fathom how other people feel, and it's just like... Damn, maybe yeah. maybe Mark is. I mean, he's a dickhead because there's this. They show the scene where he shouts at the mother and stuff. But the movie's really good at showing how, like, when you see these kind of killings on the news sometimes, and it's like high school kids that'll, and you're like, damn, somebody killed somebody over like a bag of Burger King or whatever. It's like high school <laughs> kids are terrifying because they're they're wildly self-absorbed their brains are not developed yet, and and they could they can get like murderous over little sure. shit you know every time you watch like a forensic files or one of those uh cold case files or any sort of crime show on tv and it involves anybody that's under college age it's like you said they they kill somebody for the strangest reasons and there's no they have no long game like right. you think they they do it and then they jump in the car and they they go to the pool hall or something or the mall if it's you know an 80s one and uh-huh. you're like what were you thinking what happens next you know they don't all they're like, well, we wanted to be together, so we stabbed our mom. Right, exactly, <laughs> so. exactly. And so that's what this one does. And I, I really, I loved the. I liked. I would say I liked about eighty percent of this movie. Loved maybe ten percent, and then fucking hated the last ten percent, which I'll get to. Yeah, um, I, I think it has that. Now that I'm, I said I had a Heather's Equus thing going, but I think it. The more we're talking about it, it has a. A Heather's Heavenly Creatures vibe. You remember Heavenly Creatures? Yeah, it was that. Uh, it was Kate Winslet and uh, who else was in that one? That was a Peter Jackson movie, right? Yeah, her Melanie something. She's in. Oh, um, she was in. I don't want to be in this world anymore. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. I, I remember that movie. Yeah, for sure. But the way that it was so 
it was such a big um, deal for them if she, the other girl went away. And so they thought killing our mom will keep us together. And they never thought past that moment and how it actually means that they'll never see each other ever again. Yeah. And it has that, I think what it lacks is what heavenly creatures had, which is of course the interior life of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, they were hyper emotional. They were hysterical in that. And here we have these dueling psychopaths mm-hmm. or the, or the uh, the trendy version of psychopath in the movie, sociopaths. Even though when they define that, it's the exact opposite. Right. But they they both seem to have the same affliction, which is um, no consideration for others. And the one who says she has no emotions, she actually gives us a little smile at the end. And the one who is crying through the whole thing, I don't think I saw her smile once. Did you ever see the the rich girl smile? Uh, no, I don't think so. So she's maybe she is the actual psychopath. Um, I don't know. Well, I think that yeah, I think that it's it's maybe it's trying to wrap this kind of complicated message up at the end in a nice little bow, and that's one of the reasons why I hated the end. But I think that what's so interesting about the relationship between these two girls is that you start to see that there's levels to people like to how people express emotion and what that actually means you know because essentially the um was it amanda amanda she's she's the um the emotionless one right so she's the emotionless one but as it goes on she's kind of known as a uh like a freak because she (laughs) uh killed her horse essentially uh, she, she pulled an Equus. Yeah, she, she pulled loved an it. She loved it too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and then I think that it goes a little bit further than that because I don't even think that it's implied that she necessarily. I mean, she did love the horse, but she didn't. She killed it because she felt like it was the most humane thing to do. And she says that like her mother saw the horse as her friend and so wasn't able to put her down. But the horse had broken a leg, and I don't know a lot about horses, but I've heard this before. It's like horses, I guess, are basically useless if they break a leg or something like they yeah, can't, it can't I, be fixed i don't i don't really know how that works well i've been watching luck on hbo that's the uh the guy who did deadwood his horse racing show a show that actually got canceled because a horse broke its leg and had to be put down exactly three horses they three? did uh, <laughs> first one one died and they're like man we gotta be careful and then another <laughs> one another one died and the director's starts talking to them and they're like that's gonna happen because you're showing horse races and that's apparently the dirty secret is they, they die constantly Whoa. and then when the third one died the, i think the aspca just shut their asses down Damn. but like you said the a horse's leg um it's not like our legs there's nothing it's just muscle and then this like naked bone mm. so once it goes um the, all the they weigh so much on these nimble little toothpicks yeah that uh, i mean i guess you wouldn't they don't have to die when that happens, but it also would mean that they would never stand again. Mm. So, so what are you going to do? You know, right? But yeah, she she it's like a sort sort of a mercy killing. But then doesn't she describe sawing its head off? Yeah, well, she has to she has to essentially like get to the spine to paralyze it, and all she has is this like butter knife, this little paring <laughs> knife. And so she's like, "Well, I did what had to be done." So she she has this monologue where I thought this was really corny, but it's where she's playing this giant game of garden chess with herself where she's like moving the pieces oh, I around. Love, I love that scene. Be- Go ahead. Well, Go I ahead. just, I was just like, okay, so 
is this like supposed to represent her going back and forth in her mind as to whether or not she made the right decision? Does that was I think there's think that was I think it's one of those perfect scenes where there's so much going on, and even if you like look it through a different lens once you've seen the movie, everything works with that scene. So to for the people that haven't seen it or haven't had it ruined yet, or, or I mean have it ruined twice, you've got this these two girls in the um, at the rich person's house. There's a human sized chess set. I mean the symbolism is right on the fucking nose. Mm-hmm. And the one girl is playing chess with herself, um, moving these giant stone chess pieces, while the other girl looks on and. Uh, maybe like you, I watched that and thought this shows who's in control, right? The girl playing chess with herself mm. is, is moves ahead of the other girl. But then once you see the movie, you're like, no, the person who's just sitting there with that blank look on her face is the one who's controlling everything. Mm-hmm. And the girl who's running around on the board is doing it at the behest of the rich girl. So right. it works through that lens too, right? Back. That was 25 minutes. That was pretty good. All right. So basically it's interesting because it starts off with Amanda kind of suggesting that they kill the, the stepdad because I think that she is also kind of under the impression that he might be a little touchy-feely. And so – Basically, once Amanda starts learning that he's just kind of a dick and not an actual evil person, she starts to kind of back off a little bit. And she's like, well, you know, he's not doesn't deserve to die. But she was like, she's like all about doing it. She has this really cool monologue about how, you know, if she's thought about this, you know, logically and if somebody's not is, is is a net negative to the rest of the world, they should just be kind of taken out of it. I liked that part a lot. Yeah, she um, she's still going to do it. Like you said, she's around the corner during that big cigarette speech. And the the dad presents himself as a terrible person, but probably not deserving of death. And oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm still here. And she uh, the girl is around the corner. She comes around. She's like, you know what? He sort of has you pegged. He's sort of uh, not what you described. Um, But then she doesn't deviate. She's just like, you know, we're still going to. I'll do what you want. Um, and when they come back together, they they seem to have scared each other for a minute there, and they, mm-hmm. they, they don't talk to each other anymore. And then when they get back together, it's it's like they didn't miss a beat. you know. Now, what do you think the deal was where there's a scene where they're kind of having a hold-your-breath competition in the pool, and then Lily ends up holding her breath too long and almost drowning and getting pulled to the surface? What was that scene about? I just took it as... It was another um, suggestion of the reversal where we thought somebody was the more powerful manipulative of the two and that we then realized that even if the Lily is the one with emotions, um, she's still going to go further. She's going to go further to the um, further than the other one would go. Okay. Uh, And it's it was kind of similar to those talks about uh, when they they apparently knew each other when they were very, very young and uh, they had a moment coming from the funeral of Lily and the Lily says to Amanda, you, Oh, that's what we should talk about is there's a great sequence where Amanda teaches Lily how to cry. Mm -hmm. She says, I've been doing this for years. Um, and that actress, I don't know how she does it. Maybe they CGI that tear, but she goes, she turns around and just kind of takes a hitching breath and then a tear rolls down. She's like, Whoa, how'd you do that? She's like, been doing it for years. All you got to do is this. And she gives Mm -hmm. this instruction, which is almost in a meta way, like acting instructions Mm -hmm. um, for the movie and teaches the other girl how to cry. 
And then they reveal later that when Lily's dad died, they were in a limo together. And she says, you cried with me that whole night. You know, were you just using the method? She's like, of course I was. But but what you think about is maybe that Lily has this method, too, or maybe she doesn't um, or maybe it doesn't even matter if Lily, even though she feels these genuine emotions, she's just as dangerous or more. She's she's shown as being more dangerous. Well, she's more dangerous. And it's this really interesting kind of thesis that the movie has that having no emotions or like is better (laughs) or yeah or having this mental condition does not necessarily make you a bad person you know because at the end of the day amanda was still fake crying because she knew that it would it was what was best for her friend it's what her friend needed at that moment so she is clinical and she doesn't have feelings but it's kind of like it's sort of like a reverse american psycho where the person who has all these emotions and feels everything so deeply and becomes so, you know, when Anton Yelchin's character bails on his hit job and Lily begin like, just starts like freaking out and, you know, flipping or whatever. She's like, she's got too much emotion. You know, she's too, she's too compulsive. It's kind of like a version of that, um, that old argument about, uh, uh, religion and, and atheists. Like, why would you trust an atheist? They're not, um, they don't fear uh, hell or death or why would they be uh, have any morality without the fear of punishment? And this movie is kind of like, why would you, you don't have to worry about the person with no emotions or because they will do, um, I don't know what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying? No, they'll like, do, they'll do whatever the current situation requires. Like they'll both, you know, cut off their horse's head and it's implied that the horse <laughs> was her best friend for a really long time. Like she will cut off that thing's head if it needs to be cut off or, you know, she'll fake cry with her friend in in the limousine after Lily's right. father's funeral because she feels like that's what is needed in that situation. Here's a this is a small tangent, but did you ever read the book Wild? Is that the Cheryl Strayed one? Yes, yes, yes. yes I've yes. read uh, bits of it, but no, I'm going to go ahead and say no. Okay, so um, this part they left out of the movie. The movie, um, I liked the movie. It's very stylish. The guy who did that movie did um, uh, Sharp Objects, which we're going to talk about in a second, I okay. think. All right. But but that guy, uh, the movie Wild, um, stylish, inspiring, you know, and, and pretty bold. Mm-hmm. The book seems to be about a terrible person mm-hmm. who uh, has – there's a long sequence where she uh, – Mercy kills a horse. Now, I wonder why they didn't put that in the movie. <laughs> She's, this is what happened. And, and just like in this movie, you can kind of picture what really happened. Um, you know, it, at least – but in Wild, it's presumed that this happened in this person's actual life. So it's mm-hmm. a little freakier. But uh, the um, – the author's mother, I'm just going by memory, the author's mother has a horse and she hasn't, does she die? And then the stepdad takes it over and it's not being cared for very well, but it's, I think it's, um, the horse used to belong to the author. Either way, the brother gets a hold of her and says, we got to do something about this horse. Stepdad ain't taking care of it. It's a burden. It must be killed. Yeah. And so the author goes over there and through a series of, of comical mishaps, uh, are unable to murder the horse. And I think you're supposed to think, oh, man, what they're, what they're doing for love here. But it's it's like, you awful fuck. Go yeah. call a vet. Call a large animal vet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And be like, and look, we can't take care of it anymore. So do do whatever you guys do. I don't know what it is. but And they, they eventually kill it. I don't know if they have to keep repeatedly shooting it in the fucking head or something. But it's horrible, horrible sequence. And I think it's a po- we're supposed to think, man, when – 
people, when the chips are down, you know, people have to do these horrible things. And it's like, I kind of think that what happens is when two spoiled fuckers are um, at a, at a loss of what to do with this thing that they are responsible for, they'll take the easy way out, which yeah, is yeah. to murder the horse. And I think that that's also a compelling narrative if it's done honestly. Sure. But I think that, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it was presented in a way where my sympathies were not being steered the way they thought they were. They yeah. should have just presented it as, here's a fucked up situation and this is what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But it's, instead, I was supposed to be like, oh, you had to do that. And I did not feel that way at all. Yeah. And I think that the, the filmmakers probably said, we're, there's, we're not going near the horse murder in this inspiring <laughs> Reese Witherspoon tale of, of empowerment, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that. <laughs> It got it got Hollywoodized. You got to take all the horse killing out. That's, I know. Every, and there's and you know there's a horse being killed in every movie and nobody even knows it. Every yeah. store every script starts with a horse murder. And it's one got, of those. It's it's that, it's that trick where they say that you know they'll go way over the line so that people just cut out the way over the line stuff and they can keep the <laughs> the juicy stuff. If you just uh, page one, a horse is getting its fucking balls cut off with a bread knife. It's like whoa, what the fuck? Like animal mutilation. <laughs> And it's like yes, working perfectly. But um, first, the meeting, they're like the first thing that's got to go. Page fourteen, you kill a horse again. <laughs> Why are you killing those horses? It almost seems like every five pages or so, there's a horse getting murdered. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that I guess that can bring us then to the uh, end of this movie, and it's where I think it, it goes off the rails and it loses. Before you get to the end, can I ask you about the dream sequences? I mean, sorry, the dream discussions. They seem to be very important. Um, they talk about two at length. They talk about two dreams, um, but the same way that Amanda can't feel emotion, I'm incapable of listening to anyone describe a dream. Yeah, I, I tune out immediately if somebody's like, "I had this dream," and then I'm just adrift. <sighs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sailing through the clouds <laughs> on my own because I cannot hear you describe a dream. It's one of the worst genres of Facebook posts, too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the dream they had, because first of all, it's all lies. Yeah, it's the dream did not happen that way because the dream would be gibberish if it did. Right. And so, those so Facebook dream posts are like movie dreams. They're like ridiculously symbolic, mm-hmm. but also these wish fulfillment exercises. Like, I, I dreamed today that I went to my friend's house and I put their heads in a pool and said, "You're a bad friend." And it's like you didn't do that. It didn't happen. The, one of my favorite uh, dream descriptions. Now, try to stay awake through this, dude. I'll make it fast. <laughs> I'm already it, gone. It's in uh, Carl <laughs> Jung's book. I think it's like memories, dreams, symbols, whatever. He talks about the first dream he remembers having as a young boy, and it's literally like this church on a hill getting fucking crushed by a giant dick. Just destroyed by a huge dick. I'm like, that seems like a real dream. I don't know. And I think the dick talks too, like it has a face or something. <laughs> That's one of the best uh, Onion articles is the parody of the um, Martin Luther King, I Had a Dream speech. What is it? It's like the parody of the Martin Luther King Jr., I Had a Dream speech. Oh, yeah, yeah, So, yeah. so it, degener- it just like falls apart into a real dream. So it's like, <laughs> I had it. I had a dream. But that, it, but it was more like a combination of Yankee Stadium and my house. <laughs> it just turns into an actual dream. That's that's what people on Facebook are doing. They're like, "Yeah, I had this dream that I was I was pulling children out of cages along the border. It's so weird. I think it says something about about who I really am." Oh, fuck you. You didn't dude. have that dream. You had a dream that you were straddling a pirate ship with a, yeah. a fucking banana between your legs. Like it, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. And anyway, anyway. What 
what were the dream discussions? I missed them completely, and I think they're important. Um, honestly, dude, I only remember the dream that she describes at the end in her letter, which I had a big problem with because it doesn't match the tone of the rest of the movie, and it kind of reminded me of Tyler Durden's speech from Fight Club. Where Is it the dream with the horses are all the, yeah, taking it's over the where everybody's dead and and the horses have taken over and you know you'll you'll hunt you'll hunt wild boars in the ruins of the Sears Tower and climb the kudzu that grow it was very <laughs> much just like this odd um wish fulfillment wish it's like the, apocalyptic it's like wish stuff. fulfillment it's like going on twitter and everybody's like oh my god i want to die i want a meteor to hit the earth i want it because Life is difficult. I live in, you know, probably, and this, oh, oh God, no. You know what? I'm just going to stop with that line of uh, ranting. Because do, you remember the, do you remember the live song? Um, you remember live, right? Like the most melodramatic lyrics. Yeah, have. yeah, yeah, for sure. Isn't one song like Lightning Crashes? It's got like this childbirth moment. Uh-huh. Um, but they have a song that's one of the most pretentious lyrics. It's right, um, uh, it's exactly like that Tyler Durden thing you're describing. Mm-hmm. It's like, in another time, in another place, I'd be driving trucks, my dear. Mm. And it's like, you're this rich fuck fantasizing about being a blue-collar truck driver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and people, <laughs> and that's, that's, all, that's all this, like, fucking, that's what Fight Club was at the very end, you know? Also, oh, man, I really don't want to go off. I'm going to do it real fast. The ending, yeah. the ending of Fight Club is actually one of, like, that would have that would have actually signaled the collapse of the entire world civilization. When he breaks the debt, America's right. debt, when he erases it, when he sends it all back to zero. You, you brought us full circle, dude. This started off with a debt discussion. Yeah, when, if you, but the, and that's the thing. That's why student loan debt will never be erased. It's like if you get rid of the debt, that's America's asset that it's you know, sells to other countries. Like that's literally what we use to buy and sell things. If that debt didn't exist, our currency wouldn't exist. And our currency current make, currently makes the world go round. So in Fight Club, essentially what he's doing is he is ending the world. Like entire nations, uh, like probably uh, uh, treasuries just went to zero when he did that, you know, because mm-hmm. it completely crashed the dollar, etc. blah, blah, blah. But back to the movie, back to Thoroughbreds. Um, yeah, that ending thing really didn't make sense outside of trying to kind of make that <clears throat> that Amanda a little bit more sympathetic, which I didn't think she didn't need. Um, are you talking about the uh, when Lily kills her dad? Are you talking about the like insane asylum? The, the insane oh, asylum epilogue. Thing. Okay, yeah. okay. Which I thought was super super whack, and I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to go into my. Script doctor. Script doctor! All right. Cue the oh, wait, music. Is it, cue the script. I, I have a script doctor, too, and I, I'm worried that you're going to do the same thing, but I'm uh, I'm giving you the scalpel. Okay. Okay. All right. If, if the confidence will win the day every time, and you feel it. I feel like you got a good script doctor coming. I, I thought about this last night, and then I had trouble going to sleep, because it was one of those thoughts that came to me almost right when I was about to go to sleep, right? So, the way the movie ends, actually is that Amanda goes over to Lily's house for uh, to watch a movie, and they're both sitting there drinking these uh, kind of daiquiri drinks, and they have a back and forth about... Do you remember what they talked about, Dave? I don't remember. They, they, they're they sort of uh, getting back together, right? They This is the first they've seen yes, each other in a right. while, so it's like uh, it's like they're they're picking up where they left off. Right, and so... Basically, 
Amanda says something to garner Lily's sympathy. She goes to take a sip of her drink, and Lily says, wait, don't do that. I put rohypnol in it, which was, felt really strange, like not something a teenage girl would say. But not saying the teenage girls wouldn't know what rohypnol was. It just felt like she would say, I roofied that shit. But she'd say, it. she'd say, I put a forget me now in there. <laughs> <laughs> was it the 19? I put one of those wacky poppers. Uh, but so basically, uh, Amanda stops drinking it. She's like, what, why? And Lily tells her her whole plan, which is that um, she's going to roofie Amanda, go up, murder her stepdad, and essentially just put the knife in Amanda's hand because she's already, you know, going to be on trial for animal cruelty. She's already considered a psycho. Uh, so she's essentially going to frame her friend. Now, mm -hmm. so then Amanda says, well, fuck it. My life is meaningless anyway. That's one of the things they talk about, by the way. That's one, where she's like, Do you, have you ever thought that maybe your life has no meaning because you can't feel anything, right? right? And so then Amanda says, well, fuck it. And she just voluntarily chugs this drink. So she passes out. Lily kind of checks her out. And the whole time you can hear her stepdad Mark's rowing machine going upstairs. It's this like, and so the camera stays firmly on Amanda. Lily walks into the background, up a staircase. You, you hear the rowing machine stop and then several thuds. She comes Yeah, and, I, and there's no way they could have showed that because I still don't know how that teen was killing super fit evil stepdad. But anyway. Right, right. So, 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 so that's a problem that my script doctor thing will fix. Ooh, um, <laughs> so she comes back down wearing these yellow rubber gloves, which I thought was a really great touch. And she's covered in blood. Um, and she goes through 100% with her plan. And we go from there to a scene where Lily is getting out of a car to do an interview for a college that she's going to. And she sees Anton Yeltsin's character who's working there as a valet and they have this kind of tense discussion. Uh, where... He looks he looks appropriately scared. I liked that scene. Yeah, he looks really, really scared, and she looks emotionless, <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'm going to... Okay, so my script doctor is actually really, really simple, and it would be... Fix and, it. And I get why it probably wouldn't, like, the, the suits wouldn't go for it, because you kind of want to have a climax. Uh, but I would have liked it if she didn't kill the stepdad at all. Like, if she just didn't go through with it. So there's a scene where, uh, after she kills the stepdad, she kind of, like, lays in Amanda's lap. I think the laying in the lap thing actually probably would have been a better ending, and here's why. Anton Yeltsin's character can't go through with the murder, and she calls him, like, a, a coward and a, and a fool, and he basically he loses out on a ton of uh, money by not going through with the murder. If she doesn't go through with the murder either, then that scene where they meet and he's a valet and she's like a rich girl going to get into a college or whatever, the only thing that separates the choices that they made is money, you know? So it becomes a little bit more poignant, I think. Okay, okay. Now, now I think you can still have the tension. I think you can have her go up the stairs. You can have the, the rowing machine stop. And then she can come back down. She can still have the knife. She can sit on the couch next to Amanda. And you're like, what's she going to do? Is she going to go up there with the knife? Is she going she gonna to stab Amanda? Like, what's going on? But in the end, I feel like if you just leave everybody with blue balls, I feel like then you're really... That ending, I think, would just hit so much harder because it would be two people who had 
essentially made the exact same choices right to a t but it doesn't matter because she's she will always have money and he never will i like it i like it for a couple reasons i like it because the way you describe blue balls we have we have blue blood blue balls here right yeah the whole the whole movie is blue balls like it especially when you say it's like american psycho and it's just a bloodless cerebral movie which i like but I feel like um, I didn't know that's what I was dealing with. So the whole time I'm waiting for that murder. And when it happens, it's like, I, I guess I didn't want it after all. Yeah. So you've turned it into what it probably needs to be, which is a cerebral discussion of murder by two creepy teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I, I love that movie that you're describing. Yeah, I like it. That they never go through it. All right. And now... Cue the music again. Script doctor number two. Uh oh. Well, I have a script doctor. Not really afraid you're gonna get. You're gonna take my script doctor. Cool. <laughs> so, so do you want me to go? Yeah, go for it. Maybe we should flip a coin. Does your oh, script? Oh no no no, your... no 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 I'm not I'm not saying that I have a second one. I'm saying this is script doctor number two featuring oh. James Keaton. So no, it's the floor is yours, sir. Oh, here I, I'm up stepping up to the mic. <laughs> is this is this mic on? <laughs> Mine, mine is much more uh, lowbrow. <laughs> yours was, yours was a little uh, uh, high-minded. My problem is with the sword over the fireplace, and I'll tell you, if you put a sword over the fireplace, um, you, you're familiar with Chekhov's gun, right? Yeah, I was thinking we were gonna have a a, a fucking Bruce Willis and Pulp Fiction type yeah. thing going on. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Chekhov's gun is not really a thing as far as over the fireplace. I think it's one of those things that. It has this uh, this mythology that's not exactly uh, accurate. Like, I think what somebody said that he said in the first act, if you hung a pistol over the on a wall, then in the following act, it should be fired. Otherwise, don't put it there. Mm-hmm. So that was attributed to to Chekhov. Um, but then the like the morphing of that uh, in 1889, this guy said that he had a conversation with Chekhov and Chekhov said the words, if in act one, you, you have a pistol hanging on the wall, it must be fired in the last act, which is very different. Um, and that's the one that people ran with. And then at some point, somebody put fireplace in there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because there's a play that there's a play called Chekhov's gun, which involves a gun over a fireplace. So the the way we've all heard it for years is if you have a gun over the fireplace in the first act, by the last act, it has to go off. So when I see any weapon over a fireplace, um, I want it. I want that to happen, even though um, maybe it's a bit of a cliche by now. But here's why it would be perfect in this movie. Do you remember it was very important that uh, she gets the fingerprints on the knife? Mm-hmm. So she comes in, she like rubs the knife and her blood all over the sleeping Amanda. Mm-hmm. The first scene of the movie shows Amanda uh, fucking with that sword. Perfect. So she's she's already covered that sword in her fingerprints. She goes over and she fucks with it. And she's like, is that your sword? Uh, or whatever she says. And then she puts it away. And then a, a picture, um, an image later pans around the room and it shows the, the evil stepdad um, in some sort of karate pose or some shit. Yeah. So it's his sword. Um, so again, it, it, there's like the symmetry to it, and it would have been him because his his fucking his trophy rooms are full of headless beasts that he's yes. murdered and pictured, and it's like so he'd be getting killed with his own. Yeah, like, and the talk of her beheading 
thing. I mean, the other girl talked about beheading the horse, uh, but the idea that they've swapped places is she's essentially doing what the other girl wouldn't do. So, and she, when she walked out of the room, I even said when it happened um, to Amy, I'm like going to get the sword. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it didn't happen. And uh, I just thought, how do you not have him her take the sword? And it also fixes the other issue, which is how does small teen kill strapping creepy dad? Yeah who's pumped up for exercising up there and she kills him with a kitchen knife. A sword is a little more devastating, right? Isn't that what we're taught in all these Kung Fu movies? I'm telling you straight up right now, a high school girl came at me with a kitchen knife. She, (laughs) she'd be getting her ass kicked, bro. (laughs) No, but, but but I I like the fact that our two, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, according to the internet, if she came at you with a sword, the sword would probably break in half. If you've watched those YouTube videos. Oh yeah. 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 There's that video of that guy using some ancient priceless sword to cut something, and it just snaps. No, <laughs> and everybody is, everybody's like, oh, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, I like that um, – this is why we would make such a great writing team, right? Because what, what I think is like you could either go ultra blue balls and arty, which was my angle, or you could go yeah. super schlocky, which I also like. But I think what you the the middle ground that you and I meet on is that like no fucking half measures, dude. You know, and the half measures are what I feel like this ending was because to take to take your script you doctor, to do, you're right. To take your script doctor even like one step further, like you either you either had to use that static camera shot to like build tension and have us not know what the fuck is going on, or I wanted it to just turn into a straight up schlocky horror movie, you know, or maybe she tries to stab the dad and then he's coming after her with his weapon and yeah, she runs into the I, like, I guess I don't I guess I don't want that either. I, I just I don't want um I, I think you're right that it tried to it tried to deliver both. It tried to have this bloody ending. Um but the power in that was the static shot and her going upstairs and coming back down. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just put something different in her hand. I'd put a sword in hand rather than the kitchen knife. Oh, I see. Okay. But I still, um, I think that they did want to kind of horror movie it up a little bit. And that's how it's being pitched. That's, uh, that seems to be the crowd it's connecting with is the horror movie crowd. It's very interesting. It's and not again, scary at all. It's not, it's not even I know, like, and, and, I, not, and I know that it being not scary is not, we literally in our hereditary episode last week said that that's not a criticism, but it's, it's, also, it's, it's also not a, it's not a horror movie either, is what I'm trying to say about Thoroughbreds. You just you described it as a new millennial experience. What do you mean by that? Maybe that's what's – is it hitting on the – this is a horror movie for an entitled little brat who who's like, I'm not going to school – to the wrong school. You know, I worked on my SAT, so I'm going to murder – I don't know why my millenn- fantasy millennial had a southern accent there either. I don't know what it just happened. Well, I think – no, I think that it is uh, definitely a millennial – I would call it a millennial crime film. And I think that the important thing is it's that it's what, you know, you call and it kind of rightly called a red herring plot of uh, Anton Yeltsin's character being this hitman or whatever. But that's a really part of an important part, rather, of the overall uh, theme of the movie. Right. Which is this kind of growing divide between people and how because remember, Amanda's also rich. She, I don't think she's as rich as her friend, but they're both well off girls. Right. Uh, like this kind and of, and I and I got the impression that uh, Anton was rich too, just not as rich. Yeah, although he was pretty enamored with the house when he saw it, but anybody would be right. That house was ridiculous. Well, he he lives with his dad too, so like all these protagonists live with their parents. You know, they they're concerned with um, 
really insignificant things to like to like murderous degrees it just it felt very of of this moment but it also felt really kind of anti-millennial so it's surprising to me that it's resonating so much because a lot of it does feel like a an older person's kind of critique of the millennial generation they want something for free they want everything to be easy they're completely self-absorbed uh so I think they're, that I think class- and they're emotionless. They're they're on their phones a lot and they have no emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that as a as a picture of uh, kind of class differences, I think it works really well. And I think it could have been taken even further. But as like a real kind of millennial type crime movie, it kind of fails. And I'm not even sure if that's what it was trying to do. I feel like it was though. I feel like Mark's speech, I mean a speech from a 40 something year old dude to a high school was, girl. Was it, the voice of the movie. It was, was the, the voice vo- of the exactly. That was where the movie started talking to the characters, right? Right. I thought there was a good zinger as far as the uh, taking digs at millennials when um, Anton gets a head injury because he flips out on the two girls and they dispatch him pretty effortlessly. Yeah. Uh, they they knock him in the head and he wakes up in a tub and he's covered in blood with bandage on his head. And he seems to, I don't know if they suggest he has a skull fracture or something. He's like, I got to go to the hospital. They're like, suck it up. You got to come here and kill our dad tomorrow. <laughs> and and he's like, what am I going to tell my dad? And they're like, why would you tell your dad anything? And he's like, I live with my dad. Yeah. And she's, she's like, wear a hat. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny because it was, uh, they became, for a minute, they were, um, they were authority figures. They were the adults in that situation. You know, and they had that disdain for, you know, grow up. Yeah. Why are you living with your dad? Grow up. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of his character in general. He he you know, he kind of preys on, you know, really young girls and he goes to high school. Did you notice that at that high school party in the movie that one of those kids was the Peter from Hereditary? Oh, no shit. No, I didn't notice that. The, the kid who's talking like, it was like so fucked up. Because uh, he's the kid with the pictures, who has the pictures oh, of the horse thing. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was. I saw. I noticed him because of that, that big ass mole he's got right there. It's a very distinct yeah. facial feature. Um, it's a, That's good casting for Hereditary because you had to recognize him with just a few semiotic clues in a sketchbook. And to have a mole on the face meant that we knew exactly who the creepy little girl was drawing. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but just to go back to our favorite movie. Yeah. But yeah, no, I feel like I feel like we can put this one to bed. It gets a solid, hey. almost good from me. Yeah, it's I put it almost good too. I think you're right when you say it tried to do two things and it, it kind of sat. It could it should have went all in on being a, a cerebral talk fest. Yeah, I I you know I think that there's a place for those movies. I don't think that you have to sell it as this. Um, terrifying horror movie or this shocking thing um the people that like it like everything else are going to say it's the best thing or the worst thing they've ever seen yeah so they they equate it with american psycho again i feel like we should do a service to people that even if we've spoiled the movie if you want to watch it lower your expectations as far as the horror level of it Mm -hmm. and if you like if you like plays the guy who made this movie is a playwright which again makes so much sense yeah makes a lot of sense that he would do kind of Equus knockoff too. Mm-hmm. So if you like plays, if you like those kind of Hitchcockian stagey movies uh, where people discuss the ins and outs of these things, um, it's good. It's good. I also loved uh, one of the details of the movie I liked a lot is when Amanda's trying to discern whether or not Lily has been lying to her about having a job. She's kind of calling her employers 
and the the camera shot shows her sitting on her bed and you can kind of see some metals in the background but then when the camera pans out the entire wall is covered in horse paintings and horse drawings <laughs> yeah and that right. i like i that made me laugh i thought that was how, a really good detail and i like the idea that the worst thing that a kid can do you know they it was given the the seriousness of um the ultimate betrayal is you don't have that internship you talked about. I don't even know what an internship <laughs> is, but apparently it's really important to this younger generation yeah. to, to work for free at some yeah. prestigious place. And that I was, never did it, and it probably <laughs> probably bit me in the ass. That's probably why I am where I am right now, because I was like, I'm not doing that shit. Fuck that. And uh, yeah. everybody else I, did. I can't help but wonder what this movie would look like as a play, too. Mm. Just the same way. Have you ever seen Equus performed? Well, no, no, I've never, no, I've never, never seen it. So, so in Equus, you know, it's about a, like I said, a guy stabs horses in the eyes or whatever. Uh-huh. So, so you don't portray that on the stage in an, in an easy way. So what they do is that they typically have in the stage direction, it's described um, very um, meticulously. You have people with these giant um, uh, metal framework horse rigs that are on their shoulders and they, and you sit in a round when you watch the play. And so when the horses are stabbed in the eyes, like the guy will reach up and touch this framework of this horse sculpture and then pull down these red ribbons, mm-hmm. you know, some, and so it's all done um, very uh, stylistically and, um, uh, and without this realism. Right. I think that sounds so, pretty cool. Actually, it's pretty cool. So when they made a movie of it, the guy Sidney LeMay did a movie of it. Um, and he's known for his gritty uh, crime movies. He did Dog yeah. Day Afternoon, which famously has no no score to it, right? Mm-hmm. So when he did it, he did this really weird version of it where, I mean, weird as in he made it very straightforward. Kid murders horses, um, goes to see a psychologist, uh, gets to the bottom of his issues. Um, but ironically, by portraying it straight, by showing somebody actually killing horses, mm-hmm. it has this totally unintended effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have those those elements of that hypersexuality connection you get while watching that material. Yeah, you're just you, you just get this sort of um, I don't know. You get this this different thing happens, and it's it just feels wrong. You know, and, and that's uh, something that you're talking about reminded me of this movie. In fact, because when I was watching it, I was really kind of thankful that this movie didn't go for the kind of gritty realism that a lot of movies seem to go yeah. for over the past 10 years or so. It very it knows that it's completely absurd. So, yeah, so I think you're right about the two competing movies because it's hovering in that fantasy land with their conversations, and that's why Heavenly Creatures took that extra step and showed their fantasies. And if this – I feel like this movie, if, it, if they had the opportunity, they would flesh out the dreams we totally ignored – and we wouldn't be able to ignore them because then they would be portrayed as the horses, you know, taking over the town and all those that weird imagery, which is crucial to heavenly creatures as far as mm-hmm. making it connect on that other level, connect on that level that makes the artifice of Equus um, more important than um, the the nastiness of the crime or something. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, anyway. No, it makes Thorough, sense. Thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds. Yeah, it was it was all right. Um, you want to talk about sharp objects? You want to talk about it yeah, next yeah. week or this week? Okay, fine. Well, we can t- we can touch. I mean, we can talk about it next week too. But I feel like um, if we put sharp objects in the title of our podcast, people click on it because <laughs> it's part of the conversation this weekend. Everybody's watching sharp objects. 
Um, it's pretty good. I, I, uh, you like True Detective season one, or did yeah. you, do you have time to do you have time to start hating on it? Is the no. backlash occurred in your brain? No, you know, um, I, I can I can compartmentalize it. I thought part I thought True Detective two was a gigantic pile of dog shit, <laughs> but um, I think that part one uh, was probably just really really helped by its setting, uh, its actors. And the fact that it was unique, I'd never seen anything like it before. And uh, yeah, just just the, the, that Kerry Fukunaga man, like he really, he just he's a kick-ass director. Yeah, they and that's that's the thing about Sharp Objects is it looks beautiful. There was a show on um, HBO uh, earlier this year called Big Little Lies. And it had an amazing trailer where it showed these real handsome shots of beachfront communities and something dark happening there. And they, it was all to the tune of like, um, was it Papa was a Rolling Stone or something? Mm-hmm. So you watch that preview and I thought this is going to be amazing. And then when the show started, it was kind of satirical. It was uh, these women were fighting over like who was mean to their kid at, mm-hmm. at school and – it kind of felt like that show, The Slap. Do you remember that it was no. on TV about somebody slapped somebody's kid? It it just didn't feel like it had the. Um, I didn't. I felt like I, I was uh, falsely advertised to. So mm-hmm. this movie or this show, um, essentially, it's a movie though. It's going to be self-contained, probably eight episodes, and it'll be done. Um, is uh, is everything that that trailer was in a lot of ways because it's the same creator of Big Little Lies. Um, except the source material is much more interesting. It's the Gone Girl author Gillian Flynn, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it just looks really good. And it's this is gonna I don't know if I'll take some shit for this, but it's a very it's uh, the the POV is is a woman, but it's a very masculine feel. Okay, and I and I like it. You know, I like I like the fact that she's really into Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and that she's out drinking and she seems to be a damaged, crazy person and she's covered in. Um, scars from cutting on herself uh which it also is obviously is a very feminine uh, affliction yeah but but the way she's presented i feel like it has that vibe of uh i feel like maybe it's they they cast a wide net there by having her I, I, is it so ridiculous to think that a woman would listen to something as basic and classic rocky as led zeppelin i don't know hmm. am i what do you think have you ever known any woman to listen to led zeppelin let's get that on the table right now Oh, fuck, man. You know, let's generalize all women. Yeah. No, you know what? I don't think a single woman has ever listened to Led Zeppelin. I think that that's probably uh, sounds fictional to me. Now, she does listen to Led Zeppelin one and two, not necessarily the hits. Well, they're hits, but they're they're very bluesy hits. Right. 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 Yep. Nope. Sounds fake to me. Most of the women <laughs> just seem to like to listen to uh, Rihanna and Beyonce. <laughs> I, I I sense your sarcasm there, but I I don't think I've ever heard somebody pop in Led Zeppelin too, at least not since I've entered the dating world. Well, that's cool. Send it. all your hate mail to David James Keaton. <laughs> at... I'm trying to compliment the show, goddamn it! I'm trying okay. to say that that it spoke to me yeah. by her being into this classic rock, this sort of basic. Sure. Macho classic. I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, no, I get you, man. I'm with Stum- you. I'm stumbling on it a bit, but that's. I'm saying I'm again pitching the show to people that don't don't go into it thinking Big Little Lies because um, it's better than that. It's it's going to appeal to people that uh, that like True Detective. 
Cool. And you got you got to admit, True Detective was a testosterone fest. I oh, mean, dude, no, one hundred percent. Where prostitutes are victims. I mean, you can't. It's hard to stick up for the portrayal of women in True Detective. And he, here, the women are all the main characters. Yet, it still feels masculine. What is I don't it know. like? What is the? I think that in uh, True Detective season two, I feel like he tried to address that by having that Rachel McAdams character, and it is just so goddamn embarrassing when these look. It must have looked great on paper, though, right? He's like this tone deaf. He's so he's just fucking tone deaf is the problem. Like you need somebody when he writes those scripts. When Pizzolatto writes those scripts, he's writing like very uh, purple, overly dramatic noir prose he's like somebody who thought that sin city was like serious and like was the way that you write hard-boiled dialogue i've heard there's as far as true detective season two i think that the there's just so much plot right isn't it uh Mm -hmm. it's an homage to three different other books yeah Yeah. so it's all crammed together and it starts off great it starts off so good that first episode it does a guy in a bird mask shotgun somebody yes yes but have i ever told you my script doctor for that one no. Okay, my script doctor have him, have him die. Yes, and have because he's he's in that Twin Peaks Netherworld for the first episode where he's talking to his his dead dad. Makes and sense. I thought that like I thought that they were just gonna fucking sack up, have pull a uh, Game of Thrones and have the lead character get fucking murdered in the first episode, and he's just like. He's a fucking uh, Laura Palmer for the rest of it. They're trying to solve his murder, and he's like in in this kind of red room. Like, I'm with it, and he's he obviously was into Twin. It's it's his Twin Peaks too. Yeah, on top yeah, of being of that course, Elroy yeah. book, I think we might have talked about it because that was where the bet- betrayal was. That's why we were so upset. We got that was a cliffhanger where a guy in a bird mask shotguns the main guy. You're like, holy fuck! So we were on the phone, probably like, that is good. I yeah, love it. Right. And then when it came back, and it's like, he's and he okay. jerks away. He's like, oh, I had a bulletproof vest on because uh. that's because you can stop a close range twelve gauge shot with a fucking. Because doesn't the bird guy like hover over him and plug him like from less than a foot away? I think they yeah they wanted to make it seem like it was a definitely yeah. a coup, coup de gras. And I'm not. I'm not script, one of those we should you could script doctor that by having it. He shot him with bird shot. Oh, there we go. Or wait, or wait, did he shoot him with birdshot? Is that is that a dream I had? I Would you like to hear about my dream? So I'm on a pirate ship, but it's with also a bird, with a bird's mask. <laughs> but it's also a combination of a pirate ship and Yankee Stadium. For some reason, <laughs> all these chicks are playing Led Zeppelin one and two at the same time. <laughs> well, dude, I'll check it out. I'll check it out, and I'll, I'll get uh, I'll get episode two down also before the next uh, show, and we can we can start ending the show with a little uh, sharp objects talk. Yeah, we'll have like a sharp objects update. Yeah, um, I think you'll really like it. It's so far, I didn't I didn't feel a false move yet. Okay, all right. Um, shit, good stuff. I like Gone Girl too. What did you think of Gone Girl? I never saw it. I think you'd like Gone Girl. Maybe we should do that one. Can okay. we just watch movies? Let's watch some more movies. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, I was look, dude. Honestly, I was looking at what we could watch for next week's episode, and man, the the pickings are slim. We're in the middle of summer, dude. It's summer blockbuster time. It's yeah. either it's a blockbuster or it's something that they unloaded because I they knew really it don't want to watch Mission Impossible. Like, I'll throw that out there. I'm not into it. I did. I downloaded uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. So let's I do that. that. We should cool. do that. Our, our one episode was a big hit when we allegedly got you fucked up. Yeah. On and let, maybe we should send you into the black rainbow on some other substance. Well, I do have a, well, allegedly, uh, 
maybe not for sure police i might i might have a sweet tart that has a has been dipped in some blotter acid holy Um, shit glad you're in you're in texas or wherever so that i can't be held accountable for whatever happens to you when you slide slide down the black rainbow we should do that i'm i'm allegedly not gonna i'm not going to do that because i think drugs are really really bad and i would not be caught with any illegal substance at any time and I allegedly would never encourage you to do anything dangerous because allegedly I don't feel like it's our show is important enough to allegedly risk your life over. It's definitely not, but um, that was our most popular episode. So just I'm just throwing that. <laughs> like the numbers, was, although, the numbers don't lie, dude. <laughs> people people seem to like it. We got uh, and we don't even know what the numbers are on iTunes. I assume that those have to be equal to the. All it really shows, and I've always been confused about how this works, and I've looked it up a, a number of times, but they're very extremely cagey about this. So they'll show you how many downloads people did directly from the Podbean website. So that's when people go to Podbean and press play, that's a, a download, right? But there are people who, you know, subscribe to it in like different podcatchers. It's like, do, does that count? Is it, I would assume that, because I have a podcatcher on my phone, and I would assume that if I, when I press play on that podcatcher, it's not reverse, like going back to that website of origin and, and like t- dinging it up as a download, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for a while there on the JDO show, I was having like, I was having a, uh, uh, like the episodes were being accessed and this isn't just like one individual episode, but the episodes are being accessed like 10,000 times a month. And then they kind of like took that away because that was also, that wasn't necessarily just downloads. That was also just people refreshing their feed and seeing it pop up again. So that was like an inf- a way inflated number. Interesting. So I, I would say we're somewhere between those two things because I, I don't think a lot of people are going and just like pressing play on the website and listening to it that way they might i'm but, a little uh, disturbed that you said you referred to your other show as the jdo show because now um one of the pluses was i don't think anybody knew which person was which oh yeah. and now we know that who you are possibly so i would be held accountable for saying that women don't listen to led zeppelin <laughs> Uh, I think that was I could hide behind that. Have we really never said which one is which? I don't know. I don't know if we have. I mean, I I like that, but also, what if one day you say you hate something that I like? Yeah. That that's one of that's a nightmare. That's yeah. an actual. If I was to wake up and describe a dream, it would the dream would be where you said on the internet that you liked something and somebody thought it was it was me. Right. Like if somebody attributed a positive review of Shawshank Redemption to me. Yeah, that would be. Bad, I would have right? to. I would go like full Neo to bring the Matrix down forever because I couldn't have that out there. So, um, yeah, I understand that. Really, so, I don't, I, so that we, really we hide. Crazy. So maybe we'll just switch. I don't know. We could you, start using vocoders, dude. We could start being like <laughs> you know that band, The Knife. We could like we could just use like funny. Uh, different voices that would be as pretty long as cool. it gives us it'll give us that millennial uh emotionless uh vibe right yeah welcome yeah. to almost good yeah <laughs> everything is almost good we're going nothing is good yeah i feel like i still have to, i just have this feeling that people who uh listened i feel like we we have created an almost good podcast in that i feel like we're creating some pretty like hardcore fans because people have told me like 
that they really like it and that they want to listen to every episode. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing an episode every week now, that and my frugality with the uh, cost <laughs> that it takes to host these things. But I think that also I've, I have this feeling that there are probably a lot of people who fucking really hate this too and like hate us, but like hate listen to it. It could be, or I have a feeling we have a, we have some hate listeners out there. I just have a feeling. I, I believe it, but also we might have tapped into that millennial sweet spot you were describing earlier because we're almost good. We're in that limbo of no feelings. Mm-hmm. We can't commit to really liking anything because we're screenagers stuck yeah. with our technology. It's very appealing to a millennial and almost good show, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, that's my attempt to use reverse psychology on millennials. Are they susceptible? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I, yeah, I just, I feel like if we should probably have a, a bit more of a disaffected tone, like we care less. That's I'll what be the like, voice, that's what those, those, uh, those voice disguisers would be. Yeah. Well, it would be like, Hey, be like, Hey Dave, how, how do you feel about hereditary? Well, I watched it earlier, and it's kind of scary, but not scary. But I went like <laughs> for weeks afterwards. That's hilarious. I feel like I'm part of something when I go. <laughs> Friends call me metronome. <laughs> that is a perfect millennial. Uh, impersonation, by the it way. Really, and then it's like, Hold I mean, I don't, on, I've bro. Never heard one. I need to get more time. Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's like we're kind of like doing Eeyore, but as a millennial, that's funny. Those impressions are so inexplicable. I think they'll catch on. I think so too. I think that I think we have a real hit on our hands, a real firecracker <laughs> of an episode here. So uh, with that, with that in mind, uh, Dave, I'm going to start doing this also because I have something to plug. But Dave, do you have any, anything to plug before uh, before we go? Um, uh, I got a new book of short stories coming out. It is called Our Pool Party Bus Forever Days. Brainstormed with Mr. JDO here. We hmm. both uh, we both came up with the idea for the center story, and then it got bigger than all of us. So it's uh, coming out. Pre-order is up if you go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon, the usual places and who's Lots putting of, that one out uh red room press formal it's an imprint of comet press oh okay they're kind of porny kind of kind of nice <laughs> they've got some disreputable books that make them a lot of money but um also they have a dark crime wing and so i'm falling under that umbrella every story in the collection deals in some way with a car chase or a car or somebody uh having sex with a motorcycle very cool uh, and yourself, uh, well, let me do it. Let me do oh, it. Oh, sure, yeah. Mr. Osborne, do you have anything new on the horizon? Really glad you asked me that, Dave. I do, in fact. Uh, there is the re-release of my first novel. By the time we leave here, we'll be friends. Ooh, I put that I shit like out that. myself. I have the collector's edition. I got the old version of that. Yeah, buddy, that thing is worth. Actually, it's worth real money. It's the craziest thing. Uh, I'll, is it I'll, one of those like five thousand dollars on Amazon? Now? Yeah, those those aren't real though. I think it. I think at the real price that those are going for is around one fifty to two hundred dollars. Just still, that's a lot of money. So, well, I'm gonna put that in an armored car with the stuffed animals I had when I was a child, <laughs> so that no one can hurt them. <laughs> but uh, so, is, would you tell the listeners is it worth 
the the upgrade? Like, is there more stuff involved here, or is it uh, the same there's book? A, there's a there's a new introduction, and I also I did go through it pretty meticulously. I wrote this thing about ten years ago, so I I George Lucas it just a little bit. I did go through and uh, I just smoothed things out, and I I feel like it's a better book because of the very minor changes that I made. But it's I mean almost the exact same page count. Uh, whatever it lost, it gained in other places. Um, I like that. I like the cover art. I mean, the other cover art was tough to beat. So I, yeah. I like that you went in a different direction completely. Yeah, the first one was like Alex Pardee who did uh, all the covers. Remember the band? Oh, what the fuck were they called? Hold on, I gotta look this up because he he did all of like Aesop Rock's covers, but he also did. Uh, oh gosh, they were He's... so stupid. What was what were they called? Um, the used. The used, yeah, he did all the used cover art. The used, oh yeah, yeah. it's kind of got a. Who's the guy that did all the illustrations for um, uh, Hunter Thompson? Oh, uh, uh, Stedman. It's like if you mixed him with kind of a manga violent vibe, it's very kinetic, kind of, kind of yeah. the Jeff Jeff Darrow kind of look. It's it's interesting stuff. Yeah, and then I just I have this kind of more like impressionistic, but definitely still thematically relevant cover that uh, the genius Mr. Matthew Rivere came up with. Yeah, him. I don't want to. Let's not sell the new cover short. Your the new cover is trippy. It's like um, it kind of remind me of. Uh, Do you ever read Stephen King's Insomnia? Uh, no. And it, there's, uh, he see, people can see other people's auras and there's, you're attached to like a balloon string and there's like a balloon above your head. I don't even know, remember exactly, but we all have this string that attaches us to something. And, uh, it gave me that kind of creepy vibe, like seeing this, this explosion of, um, vein-like balloons or whatever's going on in that cover. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty stoked about it. I'm selling it through my website, which is a completely, uh, as, as far as getting the book to people quickly, is uh, extremely ineffectual, but it also uh, nets me more money per copy sold. And so I'm going to try doing it that way. I'm going to try to get it as, 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 as speedy as possible. Like I, I have it on the website that books are going to get to people who ordered them by uh, August 7th. And I actually just got my shipment in today. So running smoothly so far knock on wood but uh, sweet yeah but anyway so we'll just i won't talk about that too much but uh should we yeah buy our buy our shit if if you're hate listening to this buy our shit um so that we can keep doing this buy and 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 read it and hate hate how good it is hate how good (laughs) your your two dads are at writing so (laughs) (laughs) all right